0: Good morning. Uh, the reading you'll find on page 977 of the Church Bibles. It's from Matthew chapter 12. So Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick Warning them not to tell others about who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. This
1: is the word of the Lord. I wonder um, if you can remember that feeling you got as a child. In those uh, last few days at the end of a school term, before Christmas, before the summer holidays. Do you remember that emotion? Or what about as an adult, starting your last day at work before going on holiday? The anticipation, the, uh, the excitement... Or indeed the, uh, the morning, you know, um, before the final exam, knowing that just in, f- in just a few hours' time there will be no more revision, uh, no, no more worry about um, needing to have your head in, in the books. It'll all be over. You know, you're absolutely certain that a reality is coming. you are just not yet fully experienced it. Maybe you felt that this uh, this last week watching uh, the football. Um, I'm thinking here if you were watching the football of England's first match, not their second match. They're five-one up against Iran. You know, in the final few moments, um, and uh, you're just thinking, this is this is great. It's it's only going to go one way. There is no way England can lose. You know, and you're watching, full of anticipation and, uh, and excitement. Every pass of the ball, every time-wasting moment. It hits 90 minutes. I think just just a couple more minutes to go. No, there's 10 more minutes to go. Okay, we'll, we'll worry about that. But you know that feeling that there's a sure um, uh, and, and certain victory coming. That's hope. That's hope. All those situations describe true hope. We all experience it to some degree or another a child, an adult, student, sports fan, you know, wh- whatever it is. And there are few uh, emotions more powerful. Hope is that thing that makes you smile. That thing that gives you peace and relief. Hope is is that light at the end of sometimes very long and very dark tunnels. But it's a light. It's an expectation that enables you to to get up in the morning, to persevere, to, to keep going. I wonder what it is for you this morning as we think about Christ being born to be our hope what is our hope what are we hoping for right now I mean that might be short term you may have a meal in the oven I know you could be hoping for a cracking Sunday lunch might be a bit more medium term it might be long term what are you hoping for right now this time last year a few people in London were uh, stopped and they were asked that question um, and this is what some of them said take a look at this Oh, hopefully we've got some sound We've got subtitles.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: many, many things to getting better. Weather, people, uh, other countries as well, not only UK. Uh, pure people,
0: homeless people. Mentality health is a big on that as well. Everything getting better.
1: A free, open country where everybody's, you know... <laughs> free to do what they like and safely. For 2022, I hope for the end of the pandemic.
0: I hope for same good life.
1: I want to go on holiday. <laughs> That's what I hope for. Um, I also hope uh, that, well, I mean, hopefully something good is taken out of this what, COP26 thing. I want, I don't know, some sort of positive change for... The environment, that would probably be the thing that I hope for the most. Something big, you know. A little bit more peace and niceness, and, you know, just people getting on. I think everybody is so angry at the moment about everything, and it just makes you a bit sad. What about us? How would we answer that question? What are we hoping for right now? I mean, if I was to come up uh, to you after this service and shove a camera in your face and ask you uh, a, similar, a similar question, how would, you, how would you respond? What are you hoping for right now? And guess what, folks? It's not a rhetorical question. A <laughs> bit, of, bit of congregational participation. Anybody feel brave enough to shout something out that they're, they're hoping for right now? Getting your Xbox back after your exams? Yes, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you are. There you go. There's a hope to, uh, to enable you to do some revision. Hopefully, yes. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Anyone else? What do we have? What's a snapshot of what we're hoping for as a church right now? Going home. Getting back into your home. Yeah, not just going home if you're wondering, now, right after the service, I want to go home. That's not the vicar saying he wants out of here. <laughs> but it is the vicar saying that he, would, he is longing to be back in his own home. Yes, anyone else? What else are we hoping for? Revival. revival. We're hoping for revival. Yeah. What else, is, what else is motivating us? What are we hoping for as a church? Anyone? Peace. Peace. Peace, revival, peace, Xboxes, homes, anything else? Sleep. Sleep, hoping for sleep. We're hoping for all sorts of things, aren't we? Nathan, was, uh, Nathan he was preaching, our youth worker was preaching at uh, the 8 o'clock communion this morning. He used uh, um, uh, the illustration of he and Gypsy waiting for the birth uh, of their child. They're hoping for the birth of their child. Um, you know they know it's going to come and they're looking forward to that it is right isn't it to hope for things in in this in this life it's not wrong to want to look forward with joyful expectation you know whether that's from family get-togethers whether it's from the return of devices or getting back into a home wider things where 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 they might seem a little bit bigger and 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 maybe a little bit more unachievable in 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 the short term it's not wrong to put our, to put our hope in, in, in these, these sort of things, but our task this morning is to spend a little bit of time thinking about what difference Jesus makes to our hopes. In fact, that's what our our whole uh, sort of series um, of sermons are going to be all about. What difference does Jesus make to us? So as we, uh, as well as looking at how Jesus was born to be our hope in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at how Jesus was born to be our example. How he was born uh, for our freedom. How he was born to defeat death. To bring us peace. To bring peace. To be our light. And then we'll finish up on Christmas Day morning itself, looking at how Jesus was born to be our king. What difference does Jesus make in all of these um, situations? But today, this first uh, Sunday of Advent, uh, we're thinking about the fact that Jesus was born to be our hope. And as we go through this series, we're, we're in the main, we're going to be looking at those. Maybe they're not really traditional parts of scripture that you would associate with Advent or Christmas. Um, but we're going to be seeing what we can mine from those parts of scripture that, that do teach us truths that are, are, are um, very applicable to the season we're in. And we're also going to be looking at some of these carols. So we were singing uh, Come Now Long Expected Jesus just, be, just before. And we're going to be thinking about you know, the, the, the significance of what we sing sometimes in our carols. So let me just remind you then of uh, the first verse of that great 18th century uh, uh, carol, uh, Charles Wesley's um, hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, because sometimes... Uh, our familiarity with both the music, although I must confess that wasn't a tune I was familiar with um, this morning for that carol. Uh, sometimes our familiarity with the lyrics means that just, you know, we just sing them. We're so used to singing them year in and year out. So let me just remind you um, of the first uh, verse of that carol. It says this. This is what we sang. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. You see, when Jesus, the long-promised Messiah, was born about 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people had been looking for his arrival for hundreds and hundreds of years. He was, in that sense, long expected. It was an expectation that reached back even before the Israelites' time in captivity in, in Egypt. We look back to the first book of the Bible in in, in Genesis and towards the end of the book, we, we read about Jacob blessing his son Judah, telling Judah that the scepter would not depart from his tribe until an ultimate king came. This expectation right at the start of God's word that we have before us today. It was an expectation that can be traced from that first book, through the prophets, through the Psalms, even through some of the priests. Nathan famously telling King David that one of his descendants would be the ultimate king, whose kingdom would last forever. So as we sang, Jesus was supposed to be Israel's strength, their consolation. But sadly, many of them never got that. And to this day, still many don't. But it turns out that Jesus wasn't just the hope for the Jews, he wasn't just the hope for Israel, he was the hope for all the earth, a redeemer for the whole world. Hope of all the earth thou art, that's what we sung. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Wesley is articulating in song what Charles uh, read for us from Matthew's gospel. He's articulating the truth of Matthew's gospel. Matthew, in the passage that we read, if you want to turn back to it, it's page uh, 977 in your church Bibles. Uh, Matthew is, 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 um, is, is, uh, what well, he's editing, he's quoting, he's editing actually as he goes, Isaiah 42 here. And uh, it's interesting what he does with it. So a little bit of background. Jesus has been causing a bit of a commotion as he's been uh, preaching and, and healing. He's been, he's been causing a bit of a stir. He's, he's in the region of Galilee. And um, what really catches, though, despite this stir, what really catches the attention of the religious leaders was what he did on the Sabbath, or what he allowed his followers to do on the Sabbath. He let them work. They picked corn. He healed just before this passage, he heals a man with a, with, a, with a withered hand. But, verse 14, rather than rejoice, rather than praise God, we read that the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So make no mistake, the religious leaders viewed Jesus as a, as a blasphemer, they viewed him as, as a threat. He was wrong. He was popular. <laughs> and they wanted him got rid of. And Matthew lets us know that Jesus gets that completely. Jesus understands that. So as we read on in, into verse um, 15, um, where, where it says Jesus was aware of this. He was aware of this. Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick and he warned them not to tell who he was. Now this is a question, isn't it, that crops up often, I think, in, in the Gospels. Why does Jesus seem to, be want, uh, seem to want to be incognito? If he really is hope for everyone, why doesn't he just let his followers shout it from the rooftops and, uh, and just let them get on with it and tell everyone who, who he is? Well, there are different reasons for this at, at different times. Uh, often it's to do with, with timing. But I think here, Matthew wants to draw our attention to a contrast. This is, this is what, what's going on. Matthew is contrasting, if you like, the violent intentions of the religious leaders on the one hand with the gentleness of the Lord's servant on the other. He's emphasising that this long-expected Jesus, this long-expected Messiah, came first primarily as a servant and not a celebrity. And so Matthew quotes Uh, Or perhaps more accurately, as I say, reinterprets Isaiah 42 in light of its fulfillment that's playing out in front of all of their eyes. So let's read verse um, uh, 17. This was to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations you see that emphasis there? He will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not uh, quarrel or, or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. Compare that to the Pharisees. Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not st- snuff out till he leads justice to victory. I don't know... About you, but I find that wonderful. I find that wonderfully encouraging. Jesus will not let the vulnerable be broken, He will not let the hurting be extinguished, He will not let the weak, the exploited, be destroyed. One day he will lead them to victory and justice. Is that a light at the end of a tunnel for you this morning? That encouragement? It might not be in this life, we know that, but one day... So yes, Jesus is this messianic son of David. Yes, Jesus is the ultimate king from the tribe of Judah. The lion, in fact, scripture uh, refers to him in that sense. But Matthew knows he must not paint Jesus in that royal, powerful, that, that militaristic sort of light alone. Or only that light. Matthew wants his readers, and that's us, he wants us to know that Jesus must also be understood as the suffering servant. And the bruised reed and the smouldering wick can also be seen to apply to the path that Jesus must take. In order for verse 21, the nations to put their hope in him. In his name, the nations will put their hope. See, here is the universal scope of hope that Jesus was born for. I like that scope of hope. I tried to get it into a heading somewhere. I couldn't think how to use it, but just you know, just just take the little rhyming uh, uh, nature of that. The scope of hope, the universal scope of hope for humanity. Okay, let's get some some definitions sorted because it is in, it is important that. Uh, uh, that we understand what the Bible means when it talks about hope. You know, all too often we can use the, hope, the word hope, can't we, in, in, in the pessimistic sense, um, like the little boy who said that hope is wishing for something you know ain't going to happen. You know, we, we, we do that. We, we often use it in that sense. This was me earlier this week uh, looking at the weather forecast, 100% chance of rain all day. I say to myself, I hope it will stop raining so I can walk the dog. It's not, not a chance. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the pessimistic sense that we, we use the word, isn't it? All right, what about a dictionary definition then? Well, unsurprisingly, uh, there are many, but one dictionary defines it as, as this. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. And then the grammatical notes add this. We use hope when we do not know whether something will happen or not, but we want it to happen. So again, this was me this last week uh, with the second England game. <laughs> Very different game, wasn't it? Very different kind of hope we're talking about there. Gets to the last few minutes. I'm hoping that England will score. I'm hoping that England won't, won't lose. I have no idea how this is going to pan out and, and what's actually going to happen um, uh, in, that, in that game. But these negative, these uncertain uses are not the ways that the Bible uses the word hope. See, real hope, biblical hope, is not some vague, uh, wishful thinking kind of hope based uh, based on nothing more than just subjective preferences that that we might have. You know, I hope that God exists. I hope that I'm going to get to heaven when I die. No, real hope, biblical hope, is a confident expectation of something in the future. A confident expectation of something in the future. I love how evangelist Rico Tice defines this. He says, hope is a joyful expectation for the future. It's based on true events in the past that changes everything about the present. I love this. Joyful expectation for the future. Based on true events in the past, that changes everything about the present. So we could say that Matthew's uh, retelling of Isaiah 42 is that the nations will have a confident expectation for their future. And it's based on true events in the past. It's based on the birth. This is why he was born. The birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. True events in history. And all of that changes everything about how they will live in the present, or should change everything about how they live. This is the hope that Jesus was born to provide. And my simple question for us this morning is this Do we have that hope? Do you have that hope? That joyful certainty for the future? based on true events in the past that is changing everything about your present. True hope is a wonderful thing. It's what keeps us alive. It gives us something, as I said, to get up in the morning, something to persevere with, something to keep working towards. I mean, you'll notice the best survival stories that I'm sure you've heard or, or watched or, or read about, um, you know, that, that they constantly remind us that when we have something to live for, we can burst, persevere through even the most difficult of circumstances. And so I was drawn uh, this week to thinking of, it's ne- incredibly, it's nearly 31 years ago to the month uh, when the former Archbishop of Canterbury's special envoy, Terry Waite, was released from um, four years and eight months in, in captivity. He'd been held hostage. For those of you too young to remember, Terry Waite had travelled to Beirut to negotiate the release of four other hostages. And on the day that he had arranged to meet their captors, they broke his trust, they took him hostage too, they beat him, they tortured him, they subjected him to a mock execution, they accused him of being a a CIA agent, and they kept him in solitary confinement for nearly five years. He was chained, uh, his hands and his feet were chained for 23 hours and fifty minutes every day. He had 10 minutes every day just to go to the toilet. That's all they, they unchained him for. And he is a remarkably humble man. And if you listen to him in his interviews since, you'll, you'll find a man who speaks about the importance of keeping hope alive. And he readily acknowledges the part that his faith played in that. Conversely, of course, if hope isn't kept alive, then there are a few things that crush us more, are there? Aren't there? Consider that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach when a cherished hope is suddenly dashed. The job application gets rejected. The house sale falls through. Those test results come back. You know, I can still remember very vividly my childhood hopes of being a fast jet fighter pilot, being dashed as a youngster. 16 years old, up until that point in my life that's all I'd wanted to do, that's that's what my focus was I went and had some aptitude tests with the Air Force and they told me, you're not good enough you you haven't got the aptitude to be a fighter pilot I was crushed, (laughs) I was absolutely crushed sometimes though, uh, it's not just that our hopes are dashed sometimes our hopes materialise, don't they? but then, they disappoint us we get the job, we get the well-paid job we get the relationship we've been, we've been so desiring. We, we get to that point in retirement where we think everything's going to be different. And then what happens? Well, the job is, is just stressful. And actually more than that, there's a whole load of, of hassle and, and, and um, problems, relational issues that come, come with it. We get the relationship and then years down the line, something happens and we discover that the person that we thought we knew we didn't know very well And then we might hit retirement, and then all of a sudden, there's that diagnosis, there's that illness. And our hopes are disappointed, and our plans are derailed. Friends, this is why we need a robust biblical hope. This is why Jesus was born. He was born to be your hope. A hope that won't be dashed, a hope that won't be disappointed, but a hope that will make a difference today in this life and tomorrow in the next in and through death. Let me tell you a little story that I, I, I heard recently that, that's kind of almost like a little modern parable on this. Two men start work in the same factory. They're doing the same job. And their task uh, for, five days, uh, for ten hours a day, five days a week, is to put three pieces of pineapple into a meal deal fruit salad. That's their task. Ten hours a day, five days a week. Three pieces. And the next. Three pieces and the next (laughs) you get the picture of what that 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 job would be like the two men were doing exactly the same job they were in the same place they were in a different in different rooms but essentially they were doing the same place but with one different one one difference one man is promised ten thousand pounds at the end of the year for his labor the other man is promised 10 million pounds at the end of the year for his labor that's the difference So a week goes by, they they bump into each other in the canteen and the first man who is earning £10,000 for his effort uh, of putting these three pieces of pineapple uh, in a meal deal fruit salad uh, says, This job is just unbearable, I can't go on with it anymore, it's so boring, it's doing my head in. And the other man has a bit of a different attitude and he says, What? No, no, this job is actually quite peaceful. Have you seen how beautiful these pieces of pineapple are? I never realised just how how amazing they are. What's the difference? They're both in the same day-to-day reality. They both have the same task. They're in the same factory. Everything is the same, but with one difference. Their future is very, very different, isn't it? What they have been promised... Is very different, and friends. In a nutshell, this is what the what Christian hope is. It is a joyful expectation for the future, something definite, something wonderful, something amazing, something Uh, unbelievable—not in the sort of strictest sense of unbelievable, but but in that way that it is colloquially used these days. You know, amazing. Something that is based on on true, real events in the past, and something that changes everything about how we live. In the present. You see, biblical Christian hope is not expecting things to get better in this life. It's not true biblical Christian hope. They might get better, but they might not. In fact, no life spoilers here, but the reality is they probably won't. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the reality is, is it not, that, you know, we're all on a trajectory to decay and and ultimately death and despite what preachers of the prosperity gospel may claim when they promise health and wealth in this life primarily the new testament understanding of hope knows nothing of that primarily true christian biblical hope is thoroughly eschatological in that sense yes i know that's a big word it's a word that means end times final things the future True Christian hope is all about the future. That's where its main focus is. Final things Face, placed firmly in the God-man Jesus, returning in the future. Here we are, Advent. Returning at the end of human history to wrap things up and usher in an incredible new creation. Perhaps we see this most clearly in, uh, in 1 Peter. Do, do turn to, uh, to 1 Peter with me. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, I don't have a page number to hand, so if somebody gets there before me, just shout it out. 1 Peter 1. Okay, we're on page 1217. 1217. And 1 Peter 1, verse uh, 13. If you look at verse 13, Peter writes, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, and set your hope fully, not, part, not partly, fully on the grace to be given you when? When Jesus Christ is revealed. When Jesus Christ is revealed again, right now we're in Advent. It's the first Sunday. We we remember certain events uh, in the past. We remember Jesus's first coming. We also, though, look forward to his second coming. And um, uh, if if you weren't here last week and you didn't get a chance to order one of these Advent devotionals with some thoughts from J.C. Ryle taking us uh, through through the season of Advent, then we have spare copies available. Very someone who very generous underwrote the cost of some of these, so they're very cheap. If you ordered one, and we've got spare copies, we'd love you to take. and and read um, uh, uh, over over these next few weeks. We remember Jesus' first coming, but our hope, our hope is in the certain fantastic future event that will follow his second coming. That's where our hope should be set, folks. But where does that confident expectation come from? Well, still in 1 Peter. If you look back to the start of that chapter, 1 Peter uh, uh, 1 verse 3, Peter writes this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here is the true, certain past event, the, the real past event on which our hope is based the bodily, physical, bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is at pains to talk about this in 1 Corinthians 15. Go back and reread that chapter if you haven't read it recently. Amazing chapter of Scripture. It's a pains for us to know that this was a real event, that it really happened, that it's not wishful thinking. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And this is a living hope for us. One could say that our, our faith as Christians is, is sort of primarily focused looking, uh, looking back. Our faith looks back to those events. The life of Jesus, his death on the cross and his resurrection. We could say as Christians that our hope looks forward our faith kind of looks back and our hope looks forward and the result in the present love there's paul's famous triad now these three remain faith hope and love I don't know, it just occurred to me as I was preparing for this that you could lay uh, um, uh, you know, a tense on each of those things. and you know, One is looking back, the other is looking forward, the other is making a difference now. There's a massive overlap between those two. Please, you know, don't. it's a generalization. But, you, but hopefully you hear what I'm saying. And right there, you have this interaction. Faith, hope, love, affecting how we, how we live now. And what is faith and what is hope and love secured by? Is it secured by your effort? Is it secured by your performance? Is it secured by the fact that you only had three doubts this week, whereas last week you had five or six and you think you're sort of getting a little bit better and there's a, there's a bit of forward momentum? Is it, is it secured by any other? Not at all. All our hope, all our hope in life and in death is in Christ in us. That's the hope of glory, Paul says as he writes to the church in Colossae. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what it's secured by. Not our effort, not our performance, not how good we are. Friends, I just want to make one final point that takes us back to, um, to, the, to the carol, in fact. Because the interesting thing is that this desire for hope, this certainty, this joy, is a need that has been placed into the hearts and and, and to the souls of each one of us. One of the enduring strengths of come thou long-expected Jesus is the fact that it doesn't just retell the nativity story. Instead, it articulates this hunger, this desire, this need for hope, a real hope, a true hope, a lasting hope that is present in the heart and soul of everyone. And maybe you're here today and you're realizing that up until this point in your life you have never really found the hope that I have been talking about this morning. Maybe you're watching online and, and that's the reality for you too. Well, my prayer for you is that this Advent you would seek the Lord with all your heart and your soul and your mind. You would seek him and in his grace the Lord would open the eyes of your heart and give you hope. Not just hope for this life, but a confident and joyful expectation of the life to come too. Because as the words of the final hymn that we're going to sing today state. They say this. Unto the grave. What will we sing? Christ he lives. Christ he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. And we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. So may we all know a joyful and confident expectation for our futures this morning. One that is based on the true and and real events in history. The events of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And may that change everything about how we live and how we love in the present. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you to you this morning for the gift of the Lord Jesus and the fact that he was born To be our hope. Father, please would you encourage each one of us here present in this building this morning. Each one of us present watching online. Encourage us to keep looking forward with absolute certainty as we have faith and trust in the the events of the past that are recorded for us in the words of scripture. And Lord, please allow that to keep changing everything about how we live today. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.